In grade 12, I played football. And our team was a ragtag group of guys. We were smaller than basically every team we played, both in number of players and in size of the players. And we had a range of beliefs and thought, and, and we'd disagree about a lot of things. But we were unified on one thing. December 4th, 2005. That was the date of the championship game that year, and we used that as a mantra throughout our season. We'd say December 4th when we were tired on the hot summer during the hot summer practices, or when we were doing conditioning, we'd say December 4th to focus us for that future, for that goal that we could be united on. Even during a teacher strike during the year, we used December 4th, which was still coming, so the players still got together to practice, even though the coaches weren't able to be there. December 4th became our, our uniting statement that no matter what happened, no matter what disagreements happened, we could be united together for that goal. Now, the finals came, and, and we are actually were a part of it. And during playoffs that year, I actually had 12 slash 4 uh, shaved in the side of my head as a reminder to myself about the importance of that date. The finals came, and, and we played in the game, and it was back and forth, but, but we were able to stay calm because we were united on this purpose to win this game. And in the end, we won. That even though there was many disagreements that could have come throughout the year, even though there's drama that, that almost erupted, but we said, you know what, we are a team until December 4th. We are able to be unified, and in the end, we won. The same thing, in essence, is happening in Ephesians 4. Now, in Ephesians, Paul is actually writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, and he's encouraging them to be unified. Last week, Craig shared from verse 3 that says to make every effort to keep the unity of the body and one spirit. Now, Paul is calling the people to be unified. The church in Ephesus, and actually this was copied and sent to many other churches and inviting them to be unified rather than divided. Just like our football team was, was united on December 4th, in the next few verses, Paul gives the church something that they be united on. This is what he says in verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's not by accident that after Paul calls people to be unified, he gives these, these unifying beliefs, these seven one statements. You probably noticed it. He says one seven times in just one sentence. These, these things that can be unifying uh, the people, the church, rather than be divided. And that's what's important is that, that Paul is calling people to be unified on a set of beliefs rather than divided. Because the foundation of unity is common belief. The foundation of unity is common belief. That means the foundation is the structure. So when, when storms come, when earthquakes happen, when there's division that can happen in the church, you need a strong foundation to hold it together, to be a strong, unifying matter. That happens in buildings, but it's also true for the church. And Paul gives these seven one statements to help the church stay strong. Because if our foundational beliefs aren't strong, our unity will crumble. Paul is calling the church to be, to be unified on these sets of beliefs because it's easy to be divided. There's many things that can come up and separate us. 
Over the past year, we've seen that politically, in, in areas of justice, and with areas of COVID, how do we react to certain things? It's easy to be, to be divided. But when we have a set of core beliefs as our foundation, we can be united. So Paul gets into that in verse 4, and he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Now, to start this set of beliefs, Paul says, there is. He doesn't say, uh, I believe there is, or, or I think there is, or, you know, there, there might be one this, 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 this. He's stating a fact. And that's because Christianity is based on fact. It's not just a crutch that we hope for when times are tough. It is based on truth. Now, if you're somebody here who, who wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, and uh, you won't and you don't believe some of the things that uh, I'm going to say today, and that's totally okay. I'm really glad you're here. And I want to invite you to explore, to investigate, to see whether these things are true. Because if they are, they're life-changing. Paul himself found these things to be true. And even uh, Luke, who wrote the biography of Jesus called Luke, he starts by saying that I have investigated these things thoroughly, and this is the truth that I found. And then he writes a biography about Jesus. So you can read that to see who Jesus is. But we as Christians can find that, that these statements are true. And if we believe they are true, they can unify us. Now, the first thing that he says is that there is one body. The, the body is not a physical body. But throughout Paul's letters to the different churches, the body is an illustration of the church. So there is one church, is what he's saying. And that's interesting, because most of us would say, no, there's not one church. There's many churches. There's Ross Road Church, and Northview Church, and Abbotsford Pentecostal Church, and Village Church, and, and churches all over the world. Even when Paul was writing, there was a church in Ephesus, and a church in Corinth, and, and many churches, even in the cities, there's different churches. So is Paul saying that there's only one right church, and all the other churches aren't real churches? No, Paul is saying that there is one church and we are all united. All churches that have the same foundational beliefs, the same unifying beliefs of who Jesus is, are on the same team. We're not competing for people. We're showing God's love to the world. We're building his kingdom together. It's been so encouraging to see how churches in Abbotsford have worked together to share God's love and to share his truth with people. We uh, borrowed a baptismal heater from one church, and, and we connect with different churches to talk about, hey, what's working for you, and how is this working? And, and even we're in talks of allowing another church to use our facility for one night a week. We're on the same team, building churches up, building each other up, because we are united. There is one church working together. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree on everything. I've heard this explained before as open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Now, the closed-handed issues are, are the foundational beliefs that we as Christians believe. That, that if you don't believe these things, you're not a Christian. Now, I think some of the things that uh, Paul lists here are, are foundational to that, and that's a good start. But there's probably some other things, um, including Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and he is the only way to be saved. These are closed-handed issues that if you don't believe them, you're probably not a Christian. But there's some open-handed issues that we believe. For instance, over the past year, there's been churches that have reacted and, and responded differently to COVID. And just because you respond one way or the other to COVID doesn't mean you're a Christian or not. 
Or, as a Mennonite brethren, we believe in peacemaking instead of war, which means that if, uh, and that would be an open-handed issue. So if someone you know went to war, it doesn't mean they're not a Christian, but that's just what we believe and how we choose to apply the Bible and live out our lives. So we as one body are those that believe all these closed-handed issues and these open-handed issues which aren't foundational to our belief, which aren't the unifying factors of our belief. We can still accept others. We can still love others. We can still even have healthy discussions about these things. But we choose to be united on the closed-handed issues that are foundational to our faith and that can unify us. After Paul says there's one body, he also says there's one spirit. And he's referencing the Holy Spirit. God himself who lives in us. Uh, Jesus himself talked about the Holy Spirit saying, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. This Holy Spirit is what unites each individual to be part of the body. These, there's, there's one body and one spirit. They're, they're connected in beside each other because the church is a group of individuals. How can we be on one team but with one unifying spirit, the same spirit in all of us, guiding us, teaching us, advocating for us, helping us. And, and he himself is God living in us. Now, sometimes the, the Holy Spirit can seem scary because it's hard to understand. And, and sometimes he can, it can seem like he's prompting us to do things that, that we wouldn't want to do or logically just don't seem quite right. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and at Corinth, in Corinthians, Paul says that we can eagerly ask for the gifts of the Spirit. There is one Spirit living in all of us, and we can be unified because he is in us, working in us. Now, next in verse uh, 4, it says, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Now, the first part of this is that there's this awkward inclusion of the word called twice. Uh, and Paul actually says the word called in verse 1 twice as well, just a couple of verses earlier. Paul is highlighting that, that this, this, the foundational part of our faith is not something that we are doing on our own. We are called into it. We are invited into it. It is not our work. It is his work. It's not us doing everything. It's us. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's, it's us being part of the body. He is calling us into something. It is him doing it, not us. And it is him giving us the hope. It is not a hope in ourselves. It's a hope in him. It's a hope in Jesus. Because hope is an expectation for what's going to happen in the future. And we as Christians believe that, that those who have put their faith in Jesus can find hope in him. That we don't have to be perfect. That we don't have to live a perfect life to find redemption and forgiveness and freedom from, from sin and from hurt and from pain. But that one day, Jesus will make everything right and that we can find find hope in him and because we have hope in him we can endure our current circumstances we can endure the trials of life we can endure the pain and the difficulty right now because we have a hope for the future now, let me use this illustration if i asked you uh, to jump in a in an icy lake for two minutes you might ask why and if i said no reason, you're probably not even jumping in the lake, let alone staying there for two minutes. But if I tell you that if you go in the lake for two minutes, you'll get a million dollars, chances are you're going to go in there, or you're a lot more likely to jump in. And when you're in the lake, you're, not, you're trying to 
forget about the pain or the cold that is, that is in your body and you're thinking about that million dollars or what that million dollars can do. Maybe you're thinking about the house you'd buy or the vacation you'd go on or, or the things you'd get to do because of this million dollars and you'd hold on to that hope despite the pain of your circumstances. But the hope that we have in Jesus is far greater than just a million dollars. We have a hope for, for community with God for eternity because of what he has done. So now we can endure whatever we're going through. Verse 5 continues uh, by saying, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So uh, it starts by saying there's one Lord. And this one Lord that he's actually referring to is he's referring to Jesus. Throughout Ephesians and in many of Paul's letters, he usually says, Christ Jesus our Lord, or Jesus our Lord, or Christ our Lord. He, he connects Jesus with Lord. Here, to be brief, he just says Lord. So there is one Jesus. Just like there's only one hope, and that one hope is the only way, place we can find hope is in Jesus. But he uses the term Lord, too, to show that he has authority. That, that he is master over all. He is, he is the king of kings and in control. Now, in Ephesus, who he was writing to, uh, Artemis was, was the popular god there. And they said that Artemis is, is the, the lord of the earth and of the cosmos and of the underworld. But Paul's saying, no, there is only one lord, and it is Jesus. Today, I think it's harder for us to, to see who kind of has lordship in our life, who has, who's leading us or, or what's guiding us in our day-to-day -day life. Often, it's something as simple as our wants and desires. Or maybe it's what other people think of us. And, and we're giving them lordship of us because of what they think or don't think. Or maybe because we feel something, we do it. Or because we desire something, we buy it. And these things can have, we can give lordship to. But time and time again, those things will only hurt us. When we, when we put our hope in the one Lord, when we choose Jesus as king, as supreme, because he is good and because he is loving, he will lead us to our best life, even when it includes hurt and suffering, that he is our one Lord. And while Jesus is our one Lord, we also only have one faith. Now, the faith it's talking about is a, is a content of belief, that the foundations of, of Christianity, and, and these are some of them like I talked about, or, or the closed-handed issues, that there's one faith uh, that we have as Christians. And that one faith is in our one Lord. It's in Jesus, what he has done for us, how he has died on the cross and, and come back to life. And, and those who believe in him will have new life in him that will be forgiven of our sins and, and, and been able to spend time with him for eternity. But Paul actually says there's one faith. Again, not many faiths. Just like Jesus himself said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one faith. So all other religions, although they may help people live morally or may comfort people at certain times, they will not give us the hope for our future, the true life we desire, and bring us to the one true Lord who is Jesus. Uh, this one faith also uh, is contrary to what some people will actually argue, uh, that at the start of Christianity, some people say, that there was multiple kind of sects of Christianity and there's, there's different people who thought things over here and there's different people that thought things over here and eventually after a few hundred years there became one dominant uh, form of Christianity. 
But Paul's saying, no, there, there's one set of core doctrines that, that the churches believe to be Christian. Uh, yes, there was false teachers and, and people who taught different things, but at the core, there was one major set of beliefs. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And this is important because if Jesus was a fabrication, if he didn't really die and, and come back to life, he didn't really teach these things about being forgiven of our sins and, and finding and building his kingdom on earth, if, if that didn't really happen and people made it up, it's really easy for that story to change from place to place. Especially in first century uh, Rome where news traveled slow. It'd be really easy for things to change and no one to know about it. But if there is one set of core doctrine, it means that, first of all, it's based on historical fact. It's based on what actually happened when Jesus lived on this earth. And then when uh, the people went around, when Paul went to different places to plant churches, to tell people about Jesus, he'd teach them this core set of faith that, that this is foundational. And there is some things that you may do differently, or, or maybe you'll act a little bit differently here or there, and there's some correcting that needs to happen from time to time. Yes, but there's a core set of faith because it's based on truth. And when we have a core set of faith and we put our trust in Jesus, there's also one baptism. Now, this one baptism happens after there's one faith and one Lord. Because when, when Jesus came, we put our faith in him and then we are called to be baptized. Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, 19 to, to baptize those who put their trust in him. And, and he's called all believers to follow him by being baptized. Now, baptism is an immersion in water to represent uh, new life in him as we come out of the water and, and getting redeemed and washed clean as Christians. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to be baptized, but if you are a Christian, you should be baptized. If you're not a Christian, and, or maybe you are a Christian, you haven't been baptized, and you want to find out more, I encourage you to talk to a pastor. Or we even have a little bit of information on our website, and we'd love to talk to you about taking that step of obedience that God has called you to as you put your faith in Jesus, that you can be baptized. Paul finishes uh, this statement of set of beliefs, the unifying foundation of beliefs, by saying there is one God and Father over all. Oh, sorry, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, he's talking about God uh, and Father, and, and he's showing something here that, that he's not saying one God and one Father. He, he combines these two to one God and Father, which is showing that God is not only uh, imminent, he's not only close to us, he not only cares for us, but he's also transcendent. He's great, he's powerful. He's over all, through all, and in all. He is, he is above everything. He is sovereign over all. He, is, he knows everything. He has all power. He created the cosmos. He exists outside time, and he exists outside space, and yet he dwells inside space because he's our father, which is a relational term of him desiring to be close to us. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. Both of these things combine together to be a God and Father who cares for us. And we can find him as the leader who is in control of whatever happens. So we don't have to force things to happen, and, and that can unite us because we don't have to control things. We know that there is a God who is in control. We don't have to make things happen by, by telling people to do this or do that because if this doesn't happen, then the world will fall apart or, or Christianity will fail. And, and all those um, conspiracy theories that can talk about those things, is it takes away the lordship of God and that he is in control. And, and then no matter what happens, it can't get by him. 
It can't go against his plans. That he is Lord over all, and yet he cares for us. Now, throughout this statement, uh, there's actually been three references to God, and maybe you, you've noticed that. Uh, it's talked about uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's talked about uh, the Lord, who is Jesus, and it's talked about our God and Father. Now, we often call this the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and this is a, a complicated, and it's something that's hard to understand as Christians, uh, or as people living in a natural world. And, and the two parts of this is that, first of all, that God is one. There is only one God. And, and that's throughout the, the Bible that it talks about there is only one God. For instance, the clearest time it says this is, is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, where it says the Lord is one. But also throughout the Bible, it talks about these three parts or these three persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The clearest time it talks about all three of them is in Matthew 28, 19, where it says to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it specifically says the name, which is one name, not three names. So it's, it's one entity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of three different parts. Uh, other parts, it talks about uh, Jesus. Uh, it says the Word, who is Jesus. The Word is with God, and the Word is God. So kind of connecting those, those two thoughts, that they're separate, but yet they're the same. Or, or Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. They're, they're connected in a way. Now, this threeness of God and this oneness of God is hard to wrap our brains around. And there's been a couple times where I'm reading a story uh, to my daughter in, in the New Testament, and Jesus will pray to God, and, and she'll be like, wait, but isn't Jesus God? Why is he praying now? And I have to try to give an explanation that a four-year-old will understand. And at the end of it, let me tell you, I feel inadequate, both as a pastor and a father, to be able to tell her this. But I think she kind of maybe gets a little bit of it, and the rest of it just confuses her, so she goes on to something else. And I guess I'll try again next time. So it's hard to wrap our brains again because God is something that is supernatural. He exists outside space and time, so there's going to be parts of him that we can't fully understand. There is some illustrations that people have used to help. One of those illustrations is, is the egg, and the egg has a shell and a yolk and a white. Uh, and the shell is three different parts, but it makes one egg. And while that is, does a good job of showing God's threeness, it doesn't show his oneness, because I can take the shell off, and I can take the white off, and I can take the yolk, the yolk apart. Um, but God is always one, ex existing in consciousness of each other, sustaining each other, living for eternity from the past to eternity in the future, uh, that they will always be one together. Another illustration that people use is, is how water can exist in three states. So water can be a gas, it can be a liquid, and it can be a solid. And, and, and that kind of shows that God is one and that he can have these three different kind of ways that he exists, but it doesn't show his threeness very well because uh, water can't be a gas and a solid at the same time. And yet always God is existing as Jesus and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. There's this, this element of kind of getting it, but not quite getting it, of, of who the Trinity is and who God is. And I invite you to go deeper, try to understand it more, but there's going to be a point that we just can't quite wrap our heads around it. Uh, Robert Smith once said, he said, The Trinity, try to explain it, and you'll lose your mind. But try to deny it, and you'll lose your soul. This Trinity is, is part of our core sets of beliefs as a Christian, that, that God exists in three parts, and he, there is only one God. 
And we can accept that even if we don't completely fully understand it. Because if you go down a rabbit hole, there's not much that you're going to completely fully understand. You may understand computers really well, but if you go down the line far enough, you're probably not going to be able to understand every single part of it or why they work or how they work or, or even our biology or, or social media or anything like that. If you go far enough, you're not going to completely fully understand it. How much more so with a God who created the universe, who exists outside time. He exists in all times right now and, and exists in all places right now and yet he's not even in this world. There comes to a point where we can't fully understand a being like that, a being so great. But that's the only kind of being that I would like to put my trust in, who's so great that I can't fully understand. So uh, we have this, this core set of beliefs of, of Christianity, and, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but, but here's, there's seven items here that are, that are core and foundational to our faith. And the foundation of unity is common belief. That we as a church believe, and also we can choose to believe with other churches who, who are around Abbotsford, who are around the world, as we encourage uh, missionaries who are spreading these truths to people and, and sharing the God's goodness and his love for them. But what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, it, it means that we shouldn't be adding different things that aren't foundational to our beliefs, to, to this bottom row. Like over the last year, there's been so many ways that we can be divided rather than united. There's so many things that, that can come up and say, you know what, this is more important and, and we're going to choose to uh, maybe leave this church for this reason or, or maybe we're going to uh, not talk to this person for this reason. So for instance, maybe there's a COVID thing and we say, you know what, this is, this is what's really important and how we deal with COVID on one side or the other. Or another time, uh, we may add uh, that it's, it's really important for this way to, to worship. And this is the only way that we can worship. And if people aren't worshiping this way, they're, they're probably not even Christians. So when we do these things, it can easily cause disharmony. So when those other things come up, there's not really a connection. There's no unity. It can easily break apart. So first of all, we can't put some of those other items that are of uh, foundational importance into places that aren't foundational. Now, I want to say, I have appreciated so much our church over the last year that we have remained united throughout this time. There's been various degrees of views from one side to the other, and we've chosen to, to hold on to this, to hold on to our mission, to hold on to what God has called us. And I want to thank each of you for continuing to be a part of our church, even though there's so many things that could divide us. Because there is other things that come up. But when those other things come up, we can still be united. We can still choose to love others. We can still live in harmony with others as these other dividing factors come in. And we can choose to live one way or the other. But the other part that we need to do is to make sure that we are prioritizing these seven bottom things. Sometimes it's easy to skip one or the other or to forget about one or the other. Uh, our church has actually chosen in our prayer action plan to prioritize obedience to the Holy Spirit because at one point, we didn't do a very good job of that as a church. So maybe for you, you need to just find out a little bit more about one of these important things. Or maybe you've been too quick to uh, dismiss other churches because of some of the open-handed beliefs or because of what they've done here. Or maybe you've d dismissed some other Christians because of what they've done one way or the other. We can remain united. We can have dividing uh, 
topics. We can have, uh, sorry, different things that we agree on or don't agree on. But we can choose to be united in what is most important, what is foundational to our faith, and what is foundational to our lives. I'm going to leave us with just two questions to finish off. So first of all, what is something you have made too big a deal of? Is there anything that's not foundational to our faith that you've put on this bottom row? Is there anything that, that you've prioritized in the, in the past year or in your life that shouldn't quite be as important as you made it? Isn't foundational to actually who Jesus is, what he did for us, and what our life means for him? The second question is, what is something you can minimize even though it's most paramount? Is there something here that, that is foundational to our faith that, that you kind of forget about? Maybe you're a Christian who hasn't been baptized yet, and you need to start thinking about your obedience to God there. Or, or again, maybe it's, it's obedience to Holy Spirit, even though you're not really sure how that works, or there's some gifts of the Spirit that you, wanna, you might have, or, or something like prophecy, or the gift of tongues, and what does that really mean, and how does that work? And, and they're confusing. Some of these things are hard to, to live out in our lives. But have you ignored any of these things? If so, I want to invite you this week to prioritize them, to see what God is really saying about, about one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one Lord, one uh, baptism, one God overall. But I ask you, be united on what is most important. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for, for our local church, this local gathering of, of believers that chooses to, to be united on what is most important, that chooses to be united on, on what you've done for us. Thank you that, that you are the spirit who binds us, that it isn't up to us, that you have called us to be united, and that we can rest in you and trust in you as we choose to keep what is most important most important. I also pray for, for churches all over the world, God, that they would also be in unity and that they would be a picture of your hope and your faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.